0: Hello, I'm Paola, and welcome to A Contemplative Revolution, a podcast by the WCCM, about what it means to live a contemplative spiritual and Christian life while still playing an active role in our modern world. Join us for conversations with fellow contemplatives in action from around the globe. In this episode, we'll hear from Father Joseph Wong, OSB, who came as a speaker at the John Main Seminar 2013, with the theme, Desert Wisdom and Oriental Spirituality. This is part of talk one and two by Father Joseph. We hope you enjoy this talk.
1: So, the theme of the um, seminar is desert wisdom and oriental spirituality uh, inner silence. Um, the um, desert wisdom refers to the wisdom of the desert monks of the 3rd and 4th century in uh, Egypt and uh, Syria, in the wilderness, deserts. And uh, Oriental spirituality refers to uh, the spirituality of the Far East, um, like uh, India, South Asia, China, Japan and so on. Um, Actually, desert wisdom is also on the East, is in the Middle East. So I would say uh, the Desert Wisdom uh, in the Middle East serves as a kind of bridge between the West and the Orient, the Far East. And uh, so I would um, uh, say uh, something about the desert. Uh, The desert has a uh, long history, also already in the Old Testament, uh, the uh, people of Israel had experience of desert. That always implies two aspects. Uh, on the one hand, it's a, uh, a place and experience of trial uh, with the um, um, the journey, uh, the fatigue of a journey, then the, um, um, the weather, very hot during the day and cold at night, and then lack of food, lack of water, and so on. But on the other hand, it's also an experience of intimacy with God. God was guiding them uh, personally as a father and they were putting their trust in God. So later the prophets would often remind Israel to recall the time of the desert, the uh, intimate uh, relationship with God. So uh, desert also has these two aspects for the desert fathers, the desert monks. On the one hand it's a place uh, of battle with the demons because desert is the um, territory of the demons uh, the church the um, early monks enter into the desert to fight the the, the devil uh, but then after the battle the fighting then they come to uh, enjoy the uh, the peaceful and sil- the peaceful uh, situation and the silence and intimacy with God so that's the two aspects and that also, is in some way, corresponds to the Oriental spirituality of Ji uh, guān, uh, stillness and contemplation, samādhi and jhana. So that also has some uh, connection. Uh, now, uh, let me come to the idea, the, um, uh, the main theme of this uh, first conference, about inner silence, uh, uh, that translates the Greek word hesychia which is the, uh, uh, a great value for the desert monks. It is the goal, uh, a monastic goal of their being in the desert. And hezekiah uh, would imply uh, two aspects, uh, the external aspect, silence um, uh, in the desert. But uh, more important, hezekiah refers to uh, stillness, inner stillness, which again implies two aspects, that is uh, watchfulness on oneself, on one's uh, thoughts, um, speech and behavior, so this watchfulness. But at the same time, inner stillness also implies uh, remembrance of God. So that's why they try to cultivate continual prayer, unceasing prayer for that purpose. Uh, So this is the uh, Hesychia. Then I would mention the idea of the cell, uh, because uh, um, uh, Christus were as uh, reflected on Hesychia, as presented the threefold meaning of Hesychia, based on uh, the saying of a church, of a desert father, Abba Arsenius. He got the message from God, the three Latin words, fuje, dace, guiesce, leave the busy city of Rome, go to the desert, um, there to remain as a a hermit, and dace, keep silence, but more important, guiesce, try to cultivate inner uh, stillness. Um, And uh, uh, all this, I think, has importance for the idea of the cell, Uh, the uh, hermit should be um, have the patience to sit quietly in the cell and as uh, abba moses says sit in your cell and your cell will teach you everything Uh, uh, but um, the uh, desert fathers and the later spiritual writers would emphasize not only the material cell but they emphasize also the cell of the heart uh, as um, Uh, John Climacus uh, would say, referring to the saying of Jesus, when you pray you should enter into your inner chamber, uh, close the door and pray to God in uh, uh, silence. And uh, John Climacus would say we should close uh, three three doors, uh, close the door to your cell, close the door to your lips, and especially close the door to your heart, not to let the um, uh, evil spirits to enter to disturb your inner self uh, and so Basil the, Basil the Great also says that uh, the importance of returning to oneself so he would say that uh, when a mind is not dissipated then one can return to uh, oneself and by remaining in oneself one can um, ascend to the, um, uh, to the remembrance uh, of God. So that's the cell of the heart. And now um, I would like to say something about the uh, fight with the demons. Uh, when the, um, the desert monks, they fought, uh, they had a battle with the demons. So in the life of St. Anthony, this battle is an uh, external battle. Demons would appear taking the form of uh, beasts or uh, human forms uh, to attack uh, Antony. Uh, but then later Evagrius tried to uh, internalize this battle uh, by presenting the, uh, the famous eight thoughts, eight uh, logismoi uh, of Evagrius, And uh, so the fight, the battle would be a, in more, an interior battle. Um, He does, of course, he doesn't deny the existence of the devils, the demons. But the the attack of the demons is by using our uh, passions, uh, uh, arousing, uh, tempting us uh, through these passions, these eight thoughts. Uh, Evagoras presents the eight thoughts According to the uh, tripartite theory of the soul, according to Greek philosophy, uh, the soul is divided into three parts. Uh, We have the concupiscent part, and there we have the uh, uh, average, gluttony, and lust, these three uh, thoughts. And then the second part is the irascible part, and we have anger and sadness. And then on, on the uh, higher highest level, we have the rational part of the soul, and uh, Evagrius presents uh, asidia vain glory, and pride. These are three passions, uh, three thoughts. Um, the most interesting uh, description um, of Evagrius is on uh, asidia uh, So he called it the midday uh, demon for the monks. Um, now we come to the, um, the views, uh, two different views, of the uh, Desert Fathers on passions. Uh, we have uh, two different kind of understanding of the passions uh, from the part of the Fathers, uh, the Desert Fathers. Uh, the first one is, uh, according to some of the Fathers, passions are intrinsically evil. And therefore, should be repressed and uh, uprooted. Um, but um, according to uh, another view uh, of the fathers, passions uh, would be understood as something neutral uh, in themselves. Uh, even more, it uh, they are kind of powers given by God, uh, just like the famous uh, image of chariot uh, by Plato. So the um, Passions are like uh, the um, the two horses pulling the ch- chariot, and then the rational part, so the uh, uh, the reason, is the, um, the the driver of the chariot. Uh, so charioteer. So that's why um, the fathers would think. The second opinion would say, passions are neutral in themselves. Powers they are powers given by God. Um, But they also understood that at the present condition, um, passions, our passions are vitiated by original sin and are leaning towards evil. Therefore, our passions need healing and integration. Uh, And um, um, as the goal of um, healing and uh, integration of purification. Uh, Evagrius presents the term apatheia, which can be translated as passionlessness. Uh, uh, but unfortunately, it's sometimes understood in a negative sense of apathy, or insensitivity, or uh, being unconcerned, and so on. But actually, um, Evagrius would, and would give apatheia a positive meaning as an inner freedom and his uh, beautiful saying about uh, apathy, he says, now this apatheia has a child called agape, who keeps the door to deep knowledge of the created universe. So it's clear that for Evagrius, apatheia has a positive meaning, uh, because it generates agape, love, uh, then on, on, its ter- on its turn, uh, Agape keeps the door to contemplation. Uh, uh, then I would just conclude by citing uh, uh, uh way of dealing with passions, with the um, uh, purification and reintegration of passions uh, in the mind, or according to the teaching of Cassian. Uh, He proposed a kind of uh, uh, a positive approach to our dealing with passions. It means we should not pay too much much attention to our uh, sins and vices, but instead we should adopt a strategy of overcoming evil through good. That means uh, if we want to um, get rid of some negative uh, aspects in us then the best thing to do is to try to cultivate positive uh, attitudes in us and that would naturally spontaneously replace the um, negative uh, tendencies which we want to uh, remove so that's the positive way of caution and he cites a beautiful example uh, of the of a Roman arch. Uh, in order to construct an arch, uh, he says the most important thing is to find a suitable keystone, the final stone to conclude the whole arch that would keep the arch uh, stable and firm. And for Cassian, this keystone is nothing but the, uh, the love of God that should be the keystone, uh, which uh, stabilizes and uh, keeps firm the whole uh, Roman arch. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> Joseph. You gave a beautiful summary and distillation of your yeah. of your talk, yeah. and we'll we'll do the same with the other talks later. Thank you very much. Okay.
0: Hi everyone, you're listening to A Contemplative Revolution, a podcast by the WCCM, about what it means to live a contemplative spiritual and Christian life while still playing an active role in our modern world. Just a quick reminder, if you like this show, be sure to subscribe and if you want to learn more about the important work of the WCCM, you can find us online at wccm.org. And now, back to our show.
1: Second talk, um, I spoke about the Jesus prayer as an unceasing prayer. Um, I would like to begin with a uh, brief summary of the story of the pilgrim, the Russian pilgrim, uh, who learned how to pray without ceasing. So one day he was attending Eucharist, and the reading of the day was uh, taken from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, 17. Um, you must you must pray without ceasing Um, the pilgrim heard the expression the phrase so many times but that day the words really struck him uh, as a kind of imitation from the Holy Spirit so he decided to learn and to practice this unceasing prayer he first went to some big churches in the city hoping to listen to the topic from some uh, famous uh, preachers but after a period of time, he was um, uh, disappointed for not finding um, sermons on this topic. Then one day he went into a small village and met an elderly monk, a starlet, and asked uh, the monk to teach him how to pray without ceasing. The monk saw that he was really serious and earnest. So he invited him to his uh, small house and taught him uh, the way, the secret of uh, unceasing prayer. He said our secret is, is an uh, ancient tradition. Uh, the way of unceasing prayer for us is to repeat the prayer of Jesus. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. That's the, our way of unceasing prayer. And then he gave him the, a copy of the Philokalia that evening the pilgrim opened the book and once he opened it he was not able to close it anymore so he was reading the book really enjoying it and uh, was full of uh, enthusiasm the following day he met uh, went to see the elderly monk and told him uh, thank him for teaching him about the jesus prayer and the old monk elderly monk told him now you can begin while you are walking on your pilgrimage, you can repeat your the Jesus prayer. So uh, as we know that the, uh, uh, the Eastern Christians, when they say the Jesus prayer, they use a kind of a Jesus prayer rosary. And the, so the pilgrim uh, was uh, walking and uh, keep saying the Jesus prayer. The number of um, uh, recitation. Um, increases day to day so from several hundred to uh, over a thousand from several thousand to over uh, ten thousand times a day and then from time to time he will return to visit the old monk and share his experience shared his experience with him Um, then after a period of time uh, he really learned he got the grace and learned how to pray without ceasing. Um, so this is the uh, brief introduction. And now about this expression, pray without ceasing, from St. Paul, there were several interpretations in those days. Um, one is uh, a interpretation, a literal interpretation offered by the so-called Messalians. Uh, to pray without ceasing means uh, reciting prayers throughout the day uh, without doing any work, but that was not accepted by the church. Uh, There were another two major interpretations. One was offered by Origen. Uh, He says the the entire life of the faithful is an unceasing prayer. Uh, One should offer to God uh, one's daily work and then um, enter into prayer, offer prayer at fixed hours in community, in common. Uh, and he suggested three times a day according to the uh, tradition of the uh, Old Testament. Um, so this is a uh, interpretation. And the third one is offered by Augustine. Um, he emphasizes that Um, the desire for God and for the eternal life as the most essential elements of prayer and the the faithful should constantly preserve this desire this is um, unceasing prayer but one needs to express and to nourish this desire through offering explicit prayer at fixed hours of the day. And he also agrees to three times a day. This is um, can be seen mm. from his letter to Prober. Now, these two interpretations are quite satisfactory. Uh, but Basil, Gr- Basil the Great, uh, he thinks that these interpretations are good enough for uh, common uh, faithful. But for mm. the monks, who have prayer as their profession. In addition to offering the work to God, they should also accompany their work with so-called secret prayer. That means um, while they're working, they should um, recite some short prayer uh, um, uh, by themselves. And the famous uh, uh, saying, hands at work, um, mind and lips with God, became a kind of universal monastic practice. It's in this context that we can uh, reflect reflect on the meaning of the divine office. Um, Now it's understood, the divine office, as a community expression of liturgical worship, liturgical prayer. But according to the scholar, Albert Devoguer, the original meaning of the divine office uh, in the monastic circle uh, was meant as a response to the to Paul's injunction of praying without ceasing. So very soon they increased the number of from three times to seven times a day of common prayer. And um, uh, Deva offers a very uh, interesting uh, image about the divine office. Uh, is the image of building a bridge he said um, to build a bridge you first uh, put the pillars uh, three or five or seven depends on the length of the bridge but it's not enough to have the um, pillars of the bridge you have to build construct the road connecting the pillars of the bridge it's only when there's a road connecting all the pillars Um, then you have a uh, bridge um, connecting to two sides of the river. Uh, So he applies this uh, image to the uh, to the prayer of the monks. Uh, The pillars are the hours uh, of the uh, divine office, the obus Dei, but it's necessary that the monks should uh, offer personal prayers uh, between the hours uh, so that there is a bridge to connect um, the two two sides connecting human and the divine. Uh, there's an interesting saying from an anonymous desert father. He says, if a, monk prays, "If a monk prays only when he is standing to pray with the community, he does not pray at all." Now we come to the basic elements of the Jesus prayer. Uh, well-known writer Christos Ware has a uh, article interesting article on the uh, presenting the four basic elements of the Jesus prayer Um, uh, it was published as a a small book entitled the power of the name so the standard formula of the prayer is Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And uh, there are possible variations of this phrase. And uh, so the four basic elements are a repetition of a brief invocation, the sentiment of Panthos, it is uh, meant as a pure prayer, and then uh, the invocation of the name of Jesus. About the um, repetition of a short invocation, um, we have the uh, witness from St. Augustine, the letter to Proba, saying that the brothers in Egypt are fond of making frequent but short prayers instead of long prayers with many words, in order to avoid dispersing their attention or diminishing their fervor, and he emphasizes that ardent desire uh, as the soul of prayer. So these short prayers are also called uh, arrow prayers. They're flying straight to God powerfully as an arrow. Uh, So the idea of ardent desire as the soul, the heart of prayer is important for Augustine and he says during prayer our sighing um, is more powerful than words, tears superior to eloquence. Uh, um, about this reputation of a short um, invocation, we should uh, begin from the idea of meditation. Meditation in the classical and monastic um, context means reciting uh, text, repeatedly and um, repeat, uh, reciting aloud, in order to penetrate deeper and deeper the meaning of a text and learn it by heart. The purpose is that um, the monk can repeat the text during work, during the day, uh, because the monks were occupied with some light manual work. At the best um, image for meditation, according to the uh, monks, was rumination uh, as a classical image and then from this uh, meditation very soon the monks developed the habit of uh, reciting monologistic prayer means prayer formulated uh, by just uh, one word or one short phrase monologistic and um, the um, then we come to the second element, uh, which uh, that is the uh, sentiment of repentance, pentos, which is a major element in the desert spirituality. Uh, the monks were praying for the grace of tears. About their um, mono-lo- monologistic prayer, there are two main themes: uh, asking for pardon and asking for help and the most commonly used invocation during that time was Lord have mercy, or "Kyrie eleison. Now the third element is the idea of pure prayer. This came from Evagrius. Uh, he thinks that Jesus' prayer is a um, kind of a pure prayer. It means non-discursive, without concepts, images, and with Few words. Um, Evagrius, coming from Constantinople, had uh, received higher education in Greek philosophy. He uh, so it's different from the Coptic monks uh, in Egypt, when they pray, they need to present some images of God in front of them. But Evagrius says, God is pure spirit, so our prayer should also be pure. It means without concept or word or image. And uh, Evagrius made a striking statement, prayer is shedding of thoughts. Uh, that comes close to the um, Buddhist idea, the Zen meditation. Prayer is shedding of thoughts. However, Evagrius did not point out the way to pure prayer. And then we have the weight. For the um, fourth element, evocation of the name of Jesus, uh, which should be the most important, uh, one of the most important elements, but um, uh, in terms of time, it came um, after the other elements. Uh, we waited for uh, to the fifth century from um, Diodogus. But we can say that um, if the um, early monks use the Lord Jesus, uh, Lord of mercy. So now to combine the title the Lord with Jesus is just a natural development uh, because Jesus is Lord. Uh, is a synthesis of Christian faith. This we can see from letters to the Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, and first letter to the Corinthians, Chapter 12, verse 3, uh, when in you know, Romans, Paul says, if you confess Jesus as Lord in your mouth and believe that God has raised him from death, then uh, you, can, you will find salvation, you will be saved. Now we have to wait till this um, Diodocus of Photis among a bishop of northern Gre- Greece in the 5th century Uh, He very zealously promoted uh, a Jesus-centered spirituality, encouraging the constant invocation of Lord Jesus and indicating Jesus' prayer as a way to pure prayer. Uh, Diodogus understands well the working of the human mind. Um, He says, um, which is um, the human mind is constantly active cannot remain quiet. Um, So in order to satisfy the mind's need for activity we must give it um, some work, but we should give it just a very sufficient uh, work to do. And he suggested the Lord Jesus, invocation of Lord Jesus, because if you give it too much then it becomes uh, a discursive prayer. If you don't give it any work, then uh, all the thoughts, all the distractions, will uh, come back during silent prayer. So, uh, centuries later, uh, we have a saying from the Theophan the Recluse, the Russian um, uh, saint, saying that to stop the continual jostling of your thoughts, you must bind the mind with one thought. All the thoughts of one only. And uh, this idea of binding one's mind with one thought is also um, as resonance from a key statement of oriental meditation that is uh, replacing the 10,000 thoughts with one single thought. Now uh, before we conclude uh, we would like to present that um, the uh, w- Jesus prayer, um, there are two ways of practicing the Jesus prayer. Uh, structured recitation means reciting at set time, uh, morning and evening, about 20 or 30 minutes uh, a time. And then there is also the spontaneous recitation, uh, means reciting the prayers throughout the day, different time and different circumstances, forming a habit of unceasing prayer as the goal of Jesus prayer. And um, these two ways of reciting practicing the Jesus prayer should be combined together, especially for beginners. And th- we have a, a well-known saying from Stephen uh, the Recruz, At the beginning, you must give up an allotted part of your time, night and morning, exclusively to this prayer. Then you will find that the prayer begins to bear fruit as it lays hold of the heart and becomes deeply rooted in it. I was telling the first part of the story of the pilgrim. Now then let me continue with the most inst- interesting part of it. So after um, a period of time of uh, increasing the number of recitation of the Jesus prayer, one morning to his great surprise the pilgrim was woken up by the Jesus prayer. Uh, it means as he was reciting the prayer uh, all day long, um, it seems the prayer continues to be reciting itself during the night and the following morning he was woken by it. From that time on, um, as though he discovered uh, a kind of uh, living water fountain in his heart and the living water keeps running by itself and uh, he could recite Jesus' prayer without any effort uh, so that's the uh, beauty of that um, uh, story of the pilgrim now um, we come to the idea the topic of prayer of the heart um, and the subtitle with the mind in the heart this idea with the mind in the heart is from Stephen the Recrue. he says The principal thing is to stand with the mind in the heart before God and to go on standing before Him unceasingly day and night until the end of life. Now the secret of prayer of the heart is keeping the mind in the heart. You need both the mind and the heart. And the Jesus prayer can become an unceasing prayer only when it becomes prayer of the heart. Now, before we need to reflect on these two ideas of mind and heart, especially the meaning of the heart, since the word heart has been used so um, often that it loses its um, uh, original meaning. Now. According to the the heart in the prayer of the heart should be taken in the Semitic Biblical meaning it means the inner core of the person Um, It is not limited to emotion or sentiment, but really stands for the inner core of the person Uh, the heart is a physiological organ but taken as a sign a sign representing the union of body and spirit as the meeting point of our reason, our will, our affection. Uh, It is the um, synthesis uh, of our thinking, our desire, our memory, and our affection. It is also, it also means conscience. It is the faculty of moral knowledge and moral decision. And <coughs> the heart also points to uh, the person as a spiritual subject um, with an openness and transcendence towards an infinite horizon with an um, un- uh, infinite desire for the true, the good, and the beautiful, uh, for life, for love and for uh, felicity, so that's the uh, meaning of the um, the heart, uh, with an openness and transcendence towards the infinite. It is also um, it also stands for um, our inner sanctuary, where we find the interweaving presence of the Holy Trinity, and reveals human being. As created in God's image and likeness. In our hearts, um, uh, the human person stands as image um, in front of its the original um, uh, which is God. Now we come to the idea of the mind. According to the uh, Greek fathers, <coughs> our mind <coughs> the mind can have two different functions mind as uh, reason or dear lawyer it has a um, it has the function of discursive thinking logical reasoning and it is uh, abiding in the heart in the head in our head but the mind also has another function uh, taken as intellect or news it has a intuitive perception or contemplative vision and according to the Greek fathers it is abiding in the heart and the Jesus prayer precisely um, has the function of bringing our mind from the head to the heart putting to rest the discursive, re- the discursive reasoning function of the mind and letting the more intuitive, contemplative power to function, um, that's the uh, uh, one of the purpose of the Jesus prayer, bringing the mind from the head to the heart. Now let us come to see um, what are the characteristics of prayer of the heart, according to Carlistus where the prayer of the heart. Um, it's a contemplative prayer um, and the one who practice, who um, ex- uh, practices prayer of the heart is moving from being active to being more passive, from a kind of self-acting prayer to a spontaneous prayer. Or uh, one begins to realize that um, um, within me there is the action of another person praying within me, uh, that is the Holy Spirit um, praying in us with signs too deep for words from the letter to the Romans. Now let us come to the effects of the Jesus prayer. Um, We uh, we would like to mention uh, especially three effects experiencing the presence of the lord experiencing his mercy and healing power and transforming uh, us into the image of christ now the first aspect is the uh, experience of the presence of the lord in the biblical tradition the name stands for the person so as we know that uh, Jesus in the uh, Eucharist, there is a sacramental presence, the real presence. But we can say, uh, according to the um, uh, Eastern Christians, uh, the Jesus prayer also has a kind of quasi-sacramental power to render Jesus really present. It is not only um, enable us to remember Jesus, but actually renders the Lord present to us. So um, St. Cabasillas, a Byzantine saint of the 14th century, um, um, he says, he is emphasizing on the connection between the Jesus prayer and the liturgical sacramental life of the faithful. And he calls the Jesus prayer as extension of the Holy Communion Uh, when the uh, um, the the Eastern Christians they attend the Eucharist on Sundays uh, and then throughout the week they would try to maintain this union with the um, with Jesus through the practice of the Jesus prayer and what are the characteristics characteristics of this presence It is um, without image, but with the conviction and the feeling of Jesus' presence. Um, But when we say it is without image, we should add that it is not without affection. Um, Diadochus would compare the recitation of Jesus' name to kindling a fire in our soul. Uh, Callistus Ware would say that Jesus prayer should be seen not so much as prayer emptied of thoughts but as prayer filled with the beloved and this is very important and he thinks this is a, um, a important distinction between the Jesus prayer and the practice of Zen meditation now the second effect is of the Jesus prayer is to experience the mercy and healing power of Jesus. Now uh, when we say the Jesus prayer, we keep uh, invoking the mercy of God. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Now some feel that it's, uh, some may feel discouraged by saying the uh, idea of "Lord have mercy on me uh, uh, repeatedly. But the uh, teachers uh, of meditation of the Jesus' prayer would explain that the uh, invocation of Lord's mercy should have two dimensions, two aspects. On the one hand, it means uh, the penthos, confessing one's sinfulness and one's miserable condition in need of God's mercy. But at the same time, it is even more important, it expresses our confidence, our trust, in the infinite mercy, the merciful love, and compassion of Jesus. So, um, when we say the uh, Jesus prayer, uh, when we say "Have mercy on me," we should um, um, we should alternate our attention, looking at ourselves for some time, and then turn to Jesus um, uh, immediately, uh, so that. Um, these two aspects can be uh, maintained. Uh, and uh, as we read the Gospel, we know that uh, um, often it talks about the, Jesus being moved, touched with compassion, uh, and uh, pointing out that compassion is the secret of his public ministry. Now, um, asking for receiving the compassion of Jesus, means also receiving his healing power according to the Greek fathers uh, there are two different views of passion Uh, uh, the second uh, view is the more positive view is that our passions are uh, neutral uh, gifts uh, power given by God but uh, injured by our original sin and need to be need healing and reintegration and the way for integration is not by fighting against passion, but by invoking the name of Jesus. By invoking Jesus' name, uh, because the kingdom of God and the kingdom of devil cannot coexist in a person. So the light of Christ will naturally disperse the darkness of evil in us. Now the third effect of the Jesus prayer is that um, the prayer would gradually transform uh, transform us into the image of Christ, as um, the letter to the Romans says, that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Um, Now, the episode of the transfiguration on Mount Tabor, uh, when Matthew says that his face shone like the sun, shining like the sun. The light of Mount Tabor is a favorite theme in um, Eastern Christians, especially in the monastic circle. They see this uh, transfiguration of Jesus as a kind of uh, ideal for all Christians, especially for uh, the monastic persons. And um, This idea of the disciples um, contemplating Jesus, transfigured, as the idea of uh, contemplation brings knowledge. And knowledge means, implies transformation. Uh, That's according to the Greek uh, or biblical understanding of knowledge. Uh, It is not never just speculative knowledge. It is a knowledge uh, with experience and with the effect of transformation. Uh, And uh, the uh, transformation means especially transforming us into the image of Jesus, into the image of Jesus' merciful love and his compassion. Now I would just like to end with a small story uh, about uh, a carpenter in the, um, the story of the way of a pilgrim. Uh, the pilgrim tells us that in a certain village, there was a uh, carpenter who is a good man, and very skillful in his work. He was much appreciated and loved by the people of the village, but he had one difficulty, that is uh, drinking. Uh, so he tried his best to get rid of the um, uh, bad habit, but could not succeed. So one day a monk was passing in the village and uh, talked to this carpenter, and the carpenter told him his difficulty. And the monk said, are you really, um, do you really want to get rid of this uh, habit? And he said, of course, but I'm not able. But the monk assured him, you can, you will, if you promise one thing what? He said say the Jesus prayer slowly for 33 times before you drink and after reciting uh, 33 times do whatever you like. I said, Is that so easy? Yes. So they agreed and the monk left and uh, carpenter carried on his uh, life so after a few days uh, he wanted to drink and, and uh, Brought forth the uh, bottle of uh, um, of uh, whiskey or um, liquor, and before opening the bottle, he remembered he should do something. Ah, I should recite the Jesus prayer. So he began reciting the Jesus prayer, uh, thirty-three times: "Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me," uh, and then uh, again and again for thirty-three times, and after that. He said to himself, uh, should I still drink? He said, well, maybe this time I can just let go. Uh, so he put the bottle back. Uh, and then uh, after a few days, a second time, then a third time, a fourth time, and so on, each time ended in this way. So after several weeks or after a month, he actually uh, got rid of this uh, bad habit. And he was so happy and so thankful to the monk and to the Jesus prayer. And the story says that uh, after uh, two years, he actually entered a monastery and became a monk. Uh, But this is not to say that uh, all the monks in the monastery had similar experience. Uh, I hope not. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to A Contemplative Revolution, a podcast by the WCCM. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. To learn more about our guests or anything else mentioned in the episode, please check out the links in the show notes or visit us online at wccm.org.